You are listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Broadview Heights, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, please head to our website at www.cvconline.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. Welcome. My name is Joe Valenti. I'm the pastor of CVC Youth here. I get to oversee our 6th through 12th graders, and uh, it's a blessing to be with you. I just want to double down really quickly on what Pastor Chad said, the victories that we had at Frontline Summer Camp. And I know Denise and her team are going to be sharing victories from CVC Kids Sports Camp here in the weeks to come. But the prayers and the financial investment and and the volunteer work that you guys did over, have done over the last month has borne so much fruit. We've seen uh, many, many students trust Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of their life. And so thank you so much uh, for being a part of this community and being actively involved in uh, the work that God is doing here at CVC. On Thursday nights at summer camp, we have an opportunity. It's called the Glory Bowl. and we, It's an opportunity just to give God glory for what he is doing. And uh, so students can come up and they can share. And there was one guy who shared towards the end. He actually, he was a little bit concerned. He wasn't comfortable having the microphone and being in front of everybody. So he asked one of our staff members, hey, would you tell my story? And we said, yeah, we'd love to tell your story. And, uh, and so this young man said, you know, every where I go. He's a high school student. He said, everywhere that I go and every environment that I found myself, I always get made fun of and bullied. That has been the story of my life. And this was the first time he had ever come to any CVC youth event. And there were eh, 180, 185 students there. And he goes, my mom signed me up. I didn't want to come because I was sure I was just going to experience the same thing. This was going to be just another environment with a whole bunch more kids that could make fun of me and bully me. But he said, this week has been one of the best weeks of my life because not only, amen, not only was I not bullied this week, but I found people who love and care about me and who welcomed me. This young man, I'm not going to mention his name, but he, as I've been thinking about this message, he experienced unexpected acceptance. And maybe you've been in scenarios like that where you're headed into maybe a new job or a new neighborhood or a, or a social uh, interaction where you think like, I'm probably not going to fit in there. For me, like seven times out of 10, that's the case. Like working with high school students, I always feel weird because like they're scary. And so like, uh, you know, but like even when I'm going to the track meet, I'm just like, okay, here it goes. I'm the, I'm the weird old guy walking around with nobody. Hey, do you have a kid here? Nope. <laughs> right? Like, well, then why are you here, sir? You know, uh, oh, I'm the youth pastor. Oh, okay. You're good. Um, you know, but like seven out of 10 times, like, I feel like I don't belong. Like I'm, I'm, you know, not, I just don't fit. But every now and then, excuse me, every now and then I think we experience what this young man experienced at summer camp. We experience unexpected acceptance. And that's exactly what we talk about in the life of Ruth today. Ruth, to give you a little, well, let me, let me back up. I'll give you a little bit of background on where we've been. If you've not, if you've missed the first two messages, you have no idea what this means and no idea what that means. And uh, honestly, I don't have time to tell you about it. So 
make sure that you go back and listen to the first two sermons. Pastor Chad challenged us to go six for six in this series. So if you missed one, I was on vacation one week, you know, had to go back and watch. So make sure you jump at CVC online and do that so you can stay with us and hang with us. But here's a really quick synopsis of what has gone, of, of, of what has happened. In the book of Ruth, this happens in the period of the Israelites, which, which is called the Judges. It's after the Exodus, but it's before they have their first king, and things aren't really going well. They're not acting appropriately. There's sin kind of running rampant everywhere. So that's the setting that we're in. And we meet this guy named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons. And there is a famine in Bethlehem where they're from. And so they travel to Moab. And so as we read that, we might go, okay, like no big deal. But it is a big deal because the history with the Israelites and Moab is not great. In fact, some of their ladies, the Moabite women, uh, in the history before this, seduced some of the Israelite men. It caused a big kerfuffle. They ended up worshiping false gods. And so God cursed the Moabites. So the Moabites and the Israelites like aren't really, you know, hunky-dory, right? They're not, they're not great friends. So the Elimelech went to Moab is a little bit of a problem. And what happens is, sadly, Elimelech dies. Well, his two sons marry ladies from Moab, which is something that they ought not to do. They weren't supposed to marry pagans. And they both die. So the people that are left in the story are the three ladies, Naomi... And then her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. Well, things get better back home. The famine stops. And so Naomi decides, I'm going to go back home. And Ruth decides to go with her. Orpah decides to stay in Moab. Now, Ruth deciding to go back with her is interesting. We sort of get this hint that Ruth is interested in Naomi's God in Yahweh. And I'm going to use that word Yahweh a lot. When I use that word, that's the word that the Old Testament uses for God, the God of the Bible. Okay. So Ruth is has shown this interest in knowing Naomi's God in knowing Yahweh. And so she travels back with her. And now here's where we are in the story. So Ruth in chapter one, we're going to read verse 22, and then we'll move into chapter 2. Here's what it says, Ruth 1, 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, I want you to notice something really quickly. Look again in 1, 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, like, so what is Ruth? She's a Moabite, okay, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And you, you, know, you look at the author and you go, yeah, I know. You know, it would be like if you said like Joe, the Clevelander from Cleveland. Like, what's with this guy, you know? But actually, as you read the Old Testament, there's some really cool things. Like the authors of the Old Testament will put these little tidbits in there and they're meant to uh, clue you in to different things, but they just do it kind of subtly. So you'll see throughout this whole chapter, they refer to her as Ruth the Moabite, who's from Moab, as if to let us know, hey, it's really, really important that you remember that Ruth is a Moabite, that she's from Moab, because the author wants to make it as clear as day that she does not belong 
that she's not accepted, that she's not an Israelite, that she's from a country and a people that are cursed. She is not a part of God's family. And they'll say it over and over and over again. Then we go into chapter two. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, we read that, and it's just a little information that the author has given us. And we might go, who cares? It, like, so what? But if you were a Jew reading this, there's some information that's kind of hidden here that we need to know reading this in 21st century America. There were some guidelines for how families were to function in that period of time that God had given. So, in the instance that your family, your clan, fell on hard times, let's say there was a famine and you fell into poverty or your husband died or you had to sell yourself into slavery to pay a debt or you had to sell one of your fields to pay a debt. There was a role called the redeemer who is a person in your family who is like a next of kin who would be responsible for buying back the land or buying back the person to make sure that the family was well taken care of. So when the author gives us this little hint, he's letting us know, hey, things are really bad for Ruth and Naomi right now. Neither of them have a husband. They're really, really poor. They've just come back after the famine. They're not sure probably where they're going to live or where they're going to eat or what's going to be going on. But there is a man of the clan of Elimelech. And so the author is kind of telling us, hey, watch out for this guy. Watch out for this guy, Boaz. He's really, really important because he can fix some of the stuff that's going on with Ruth and Naomi. So we have Ruth the Moabite, who's from Moab. And then we have this guy that we're looking out for, Boaz. And then we're in 2 verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Now, first here we see the unexpected courage of Ruth. See, they don't know how they're going to eat. They don't know how they're going to care for themselves. Right now, Ruth and Naomi are in severe poverty. And so Ruth actually shows unexpected courage because she says, I'm going to go and glean. Now, what does that mean? Gleaning was the process of picking up the scraps in the field after it had been harvested. So one of the provisions that God made for people who were poor or people who were widows or uh, sojourners, like people who were traveling through Israel, is he had commanded the Israelites not to glean all of their fields, not to take up all of the food, but actually leave some on the edges and on the sides so that people who needed food could come and get it. And that's what Ruth is going to do. She's going to go and she's going to pick up the leftovers to see if she can get enough barley to make some food for them. But it's courageous because Ruth is a Moabite, right? And again, we're in the period of the judges where the men who worked in the field probably weren't the most ethical, nice, upstanding young men. And honestly, it, 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 we'll, we'll see uh, you know, later in this text, there was a great potential that they would have harassed her or maybe even assaulted her. 
And so there's a great danger for Ruth the Moabite to step into a field and try to glean because she's probably going to get harassed or hurt or at the very least run off the land for being a Moabite. And so Ruth shows great courage here. And she knows that she's going to need to find a gracious landowner, right? She says, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She's saying, it's got, it's got to be somebody who's going to be extraordinarily gracious to me. So let's see if I can do that. Well, her mother-in-law, Naomi, says, okay, go ahead and go. She says, go, my daughter. So we see the unexpected courage of Ruth, and then we meet this unexpected providence of God. Verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, this is another one of those like Old Testament literary devices where he's not talking about chance. This is kind of like a wink at us, right? He's like, it's kind of like, and she just happened to come to the field of Boaz. You know what I mean? One of, the, one, one of those. There's a, there's a story that's a really cool story of this lady who lived in Nottingham, England. And uh, she was nearing death, and some, somehow, uh, like, news had passed through the town, and so this church from a bit away actually sent uh, a pastor to the church to, to talk with her and make sure that she was right with God. And the pastor showed up, and she actually had a relationship with Jesus already, and the pastor was a little bit confused because the word was that she had n- never been to church and wasn't involved Well, they started to talk, and the woman told the story of a package that came to her through Australia. And the package was was wrapped in newspaper, and the origin of the newspaper was the United States. And as she told the story, what had happened was, in those days, some of Charles Spurgeon's sermons would be reprinted in American newspapers. And somehow this American newspaper made its way to Australia, and then this person who was sending her a package wrapped up the package in the newspaper and sent it to England, and instead of ripping into the package like a fifth grader and, you know, at, at Christmas, she unwraps it so it's still readable. She reads the sermon from Charles Spurgeon and decides to trust Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of her life. It's this same type of thing that's like, she just happened to get that newspaper. You know, we see this unexpected providence of God in our lives. And oftentimes we don't see it in real time, right? We usually... When things are going on in our lives in real time, we go, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, are you paying attention, Lord? But you go 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, and we can look back and we see what God was doing. See, Ruth still has no idea what God is doing here, but she just happened, of all the fields in Bethlehem, to wander into the field of Boaz, the guy who is of the clan of Elimelech, who can actually help. So we see the unexpected courage of Ruth. We see the unexpected providence of God. And next we see the unexpected grace of 
Boaz. Verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So he's coming out from, you know, the city out to the fields. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Thanks for the clarity. (laughs) She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn." Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Now, you may have missed one of the most important moments in the whole book of Ruth as I read through that. Review, real quick. Let's see how you do with the pop quiz. Ruth is a She's a Moabite, good. And she's from Moab. You guys are good at this. So Ruth is a Moabite from Moab, right? It's been pounded into our brains. She doesn't belong. She's an outcast. She's not invited into the family of God, right? It's taken great courage for her to come to this field. And she meets the owner of the field. And how does he refer to her? Look at it. What is it? Daughter. What a moment. What a moment. Ruth, with all of her fear, all of her anxiety, all of her concern about being hurt or harassed because she doesn't belong, because she's from a different country, because she doesn't look the same, because she's not a part of the family of God. All of this fear is melted in a moment when Boaz says, daughter, it's okay. I've commanded all the guys in my field not to bother you. You're welcome to be in my field as long as you like. Follow the other ladies and glean whatever you would have. Go and, hey, yeah, the guys will draw water out of the well. You can Go and get as much water as you need. See, in this moment, Boaz is displaying to Ruth what Yahweh is like. He said, blessed be you who have come to find shelter under Yahweh's wings. As if to say, if you've come out of your country, you've gone through a lot 
you left your home, your husband died. You've come to this land because you're, you're interested in this God, Yahweh. Well, let me tell you, if you've come to find comfort and shelter in his family, you've come to the right place. Boaz stands in and communicates to Ruth what God is like. Over against these continual double reminders, Moabite from Moab, Moabite from Moab, Moabite from Moab. Daughter, come into the field. Ruth is overwhelmed, but it just keeps getting better. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he pasted her roasted grain. So it's the mid-morning lunch break, and he doesn't say, go eat, go eat over there. She's invited over to the owner's table with the other men, and she's given bread, and she's given wine to dip it in. And he passed her roasted grain, whatever that might have been like, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. And then she rose to glean. So she goes back into the fields, and Boaz has a little talk with his reapers. He says, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So he has go he's already gone so far as to say like, hey, it's safe. You can stay in my field as long as you like. You can glean as much as you like. You can have the water that the men draw from the, from the well. But now he, he just goes, another step. He continues to express to her how lavish is the generosity and the mercy and the comfort of Yahweh. He, he invites her over to eat. He lets her eat as much as she wants. And then when she goes away, he says to the other guys, I want you to take some out of the bundles and leave it. Like, make it really, really easy for her. Let, her. let her take some out of the regular bundles. Don't Yell at her. Any, basically, anything she needs or wants as she gleans, she can have. We see the unexpected courage of Ruth, the unexpected providence of God, and that she wanders into this field surely under God's guidance. The unexpected grace of Boaz. Ruth is dumbfounded, right? She falls on her face like, why are you being so kind to me. And then we meet the unexpected redeemer. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, there have been some debates about how much it is, but it's about 22 liters. So, you know, whatever, like fill 22 liter bottles with you know, with barley or whatever, 22 like little bags of rice. That's how much she got, which is an extraordinary amount. I don't know how she carried it back. She's got all of this food. Verse 18, she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her the food that she had left over after being satisfied. So like the lunch leftovers. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? 
And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So Naomi knows there's no way you got this on your own. Somebody has been extraordinarily generous to you. Where did, what, whose field were you in that you got all of this barley? She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today was Boaz. It's like the author's like, you know, just happened to be Boaz. And so Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. See how Naomi's countenance has changed? Just in the previous chapter, she's gone through so much pain that she says, just call me bitter. Change my name to bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. And now she sees the unexpected providence of God, the unexpected grace in Boaz. And she goes, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. God is still paying attention to Naomi. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So that's the end of this portion of Scripture. And in week one, Pastor Chad mentioned, sometimes as we go through this series, we're going to have to, we're not, I'm not going to tell you the whole end of the story. We're just going to stick right here in chapter two. But I think there are some extraordinary things that we can pull out of this text, things that we need to learn both about ourselves and about God. See, maybe you are here today and you came and you've got a label on you like Ruth had. The Moabite from Moab. Like she just can't get out from under it. And maybe you've got a label on your life that's like that. Maybe something that you've done or a habit that you've had or a situation that you were a part of. And for whatever reason, that hangs over your life, kind of defining it. When I was in high school, I was not a good human being. Like I wasn't following the Lord. And like, gosh, you could fill in so many blanks. Joe, the, you know, the party animal, the drinker, like all of this stuff, you could fill in the blanks. I've got my 20 year anniversary or my 20 year reunion coming up. And I honestly, I don't want to go because I'm embarrassed of who I was. And so maybe you came in here today and that's still kind of hanging over your head. Maybe you, were like, maybe you were afraid, just like Ruth, to walk in here today. You're like, yeah, church, maybe somebody invited you or, you know, whatever. 
Maybe mom or grandma dragged you in here. I don't know. But maybe you came in here kind of like Ruth, like, am I going to be accepted in this place? Like, if these people knew about my life and my past and my history and this stuff that defines me, I'm not sure that I fit the whole church vibe. But I want to tell you, you're not alone. If you came in here with a label hanging over your head, like Ruth the Moabite from Moab, you're not alone. I've seen faces throughout, you know, all of the other services, people's stories that I know. And I see some of you, and I know your stories, and some of you know my story. And the thing I love about CVC the thing I've loved about CVC, this is my 17th summer at CVC. That one of the things I love about this place is that I keep sitting down with parents and students and new people, and I'm always hearing a new story about how somebody's life was transformed. There's that old label of whatever it used to be for you. You know, the person who slept around, the person who got divorced, the person who drank too much, the person who was an abuser, like whatever it happens to be, whatever that thing is that maybe defined your life. I've heard so many stories. We live in this community of people who walked in here, who, who came to CVC beat up and broken and messed up and who were transformed by the life-giving grace, love, and mercy of God. And so if you came in here with something hanging over your life, you're not alone. Because this room is filled with people who have the same type of story. And I just want to encourage you, if you've come just like Ruth, like, I'm kind of curious about this God of the Bible. I'm curious what it is that, about this person that I know that goes to CVC. I want to lean in and learn a little bit more about them. I would say, just like Boaz said to Ruth, if you've come to find shelter under Yahweh's wings, you have come to the right place. Because here's the thing. None of us can escape the problem that we have with sin. Whatever it is in your life, right now, in your past, the label that's hanging over you, whatever it is, none of us can escape it, myself included. We can't fix it. And a lot of times we try to fix it by like doing good things. Ruth has really good work ethic, but even she knows she needs someone to be gracious to her. She needs to find favor in someone's eyes. And I think deep down inside of us, we know there's no way I can do good myself out of this pit. There's no way I can erase that label that's over my head. I need someone else to find favor with me. I need someone else to do something. And that's where God comes into the picture. If you've come to find healing and rest and comfort in Yahweh's wings, you've come to the right place. Because though we couldn't fix this sin problem, God in his great love and mercy steps in to fix it for us. We have these moments, right, where when Boaz says to Ruth, daughter, she might have gone, who are you talking to? And I think the same thing happens with us. God steps in right through his word through preaching, maybe through a 
a song or a friend or a radio program or whatever it may be. We hear the love of God, the grace of God, the invitation of God saying, I want you in my family. And we go, who are you? Are you talking to me? Do you know what's going on in my life? And and God says, yeah, I want you. With all the scars, with all the mess, with all the sin, yeah, I want you, Moabite from Moab. I want you for my family. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what's hanging over your head. I don't care what used to define you. There's an opportunity now for you to be called son or daughter. And he provides that opportunity through God the Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and he lived the life that we could never live. Jesus lived a perfect life, never sinned, never blew it, never messed up. He lived the perfect life that we could never live, and then he died the death that we deserve to die. We deserve consequences for our sin. We deserve punishment for our sin. But Jesus steps in, and on the cross, he takes the consequences for our sin. And three days later, he rose from the grave to offer us an opportunity to have new life. For whatever that thing is that's hanging over your head to be erased and for your identity now to be son or daughter of the most high God. And he's offering that opportunity to you today. If you would trust Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver of your life. So I don't know where you're at, I don't know what caused you to walk in these doors this morning, but I'm here to tell you if you've come to find comfort, to find grace, to find love, to find that unexpected acceptance, you've come to the right place. Because God, Yahweh, is enough for you. And he's ready to call you son or daughter. And so I just want to, give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to ask all of us if we would pray together, if you would bow your heads with me. And if you're a Christian in this room, I would ask that you just take the next few moments and that you would pray. That you would pray for those in the room who maybe have something still hanging over their head, have an identity that they don't want anymore. Would you pray for those folks in the room that they would respond to Jesus today? And if you're in the room and that's you, You're done with the old identity. You're done with the old Moabite from Moab. You're done with who you used to be. And you'd like to invite Jesus into your life to forgive you and to lead you. I want to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. You don't have to say it out loud if you you wouldn't like to. You can say it silently in your heart. But let's pray together. God, I, I don't know how I ended up here today. But here I am, you have led me here, just like you led Ruth into Boaz's field. And I'm hearing about this love that you have for me, and it's hard for me to accept it because of my past, because of this stuff that hangs over my life. But Lord, I I want a new life, I want a new identity. I don't want those things to define me anymore. So Jesus, would you come into my life and forgive me? Would you forgive me for my past sins, for my present sins, and for my future sins? And would you lead my life? I don't know what that looks like yet, but I trust you. Thank you for being loving and for being gracious. Just like Ruth, I don't know how I found favor in your eyes, but 
I believe today that you are who you say you are. That you have lived the life I could never live, have died the death I deserve to die, and rose from the grave to prove your power over sin and death and give me a new life today and eternal life in heaven. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, I would love to talk to you. I'm begging you to have the courage to come talk to me. If that scares you, I know, like, for, for whatever reason, I look scary. Um, but if, 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 if I, am, you know, like, eh, that's too much for me, dude. If you would just text the word Jesus to that cell phone number. You can just text it on your phone. If you're uncomfortable doing it right now, if you're like, oh, but everybody's going to see me texting, write it down. Just write the number down and text, text you know, when you get out to your car or whatever. Because I would love to talk to you or one of our staff members would love to talk to you and give you some next steps and show you what it means to be a part of God's family. One of the things that I also want to say to the rest of you, maybe there, there are a bunch of you who you're already a part of God's family. You didn't have any concerns walking in here today. It was a joy for you to walk in, to get to fellowship with one another and be led in worship by Pastor Nate and the team and to hear God's word preached. But here's, here's a way to want to challenge you. I'm, I'm so serious. So please link in with me just two more minutes. I mentioned earlier, one of the things I love about this place is that everybody has a story. And I'll tell you what, one of the things that happens to me is I forget my story. I forget how gracious God has been to me, how loving God has been to me. And sometimes I set a standard on other people that the old Joe Valeni could have never met. And I'll judge people the way that they think or look or dress or believe, and it's sinful and it's wrong. And I've had to do some work in my heart as I've prepped this. And here's what I see. I'm seeing a little bit of a slip in our church, particularly some of the things that I see online, but maybe in your interpersonal interactions as well. I've seen a little bit of a slip where when people who maybe are the Moabite from Moab interact with us, we're not responding like Boaz. So I just want to challenge you today in whatever area of life it might be, whether it's with your neighbors, with your family members, with those in your you know, school district community, particularly when, particularly when people walk through these doors. We ought to stand like Boaz in the place of Yahweh to communicate to people, let me show you what my God is like. He's loving and he's compassionate and he's merciful and he doesn't judge you for being a Moabite from Moab. He wants you to be a part of his family. So come with all of your mess, all of your history, all of your sin and all of your shame. Bring it to God's family because he's ready to transform you.
Amen. I just wonder. I wonder if the way that we live and act, if people leave this church, if people leave your Facebook page, if people leave a conversation with you in the hallway at work, would they say, that guy or that girl, that person, if what their God is about is real, I want it. Can we say with our community, when people walk through these doors, I mean, genuinely, you walk through these doors. Like, I was thinking about this today. If somebody walked through these doors, let's say a lady in full Muslim garb, would we be able to say, oh man, if, if you're looking for shelter under Yahweh's wings, you've come to the right place. Right? Is that her attitude? We've got we to gotta be that type of a church. We'd stand in the place of Yahweh like Boaz and say, bring all of it. You don't have to be defined as a Moabite from Moab anymore. You can be defined as a son or daughter. If you've come to find refuge and healing and peace and new life under Yahweh's wings, you've come to the right place. May we be like that. Amen. Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and current teaching series on our website at www.cbconline.org.